I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Job chapters 24 through 28. This is the New King James Version of the podcast, and the King James Version is also available. In Job chapter 24, Job goes back to his The Wicked Do So Prosper speech. Verse 1. Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know Him see not His days? Some remove landmarks, they seize flocks violently and feed on them, they drive away the donkey of the fatherless, they take the widow's ox as a pledge, they push the needy off the road, all the poor of the land are forced to hide, indeed like wild donkeys in the desert, they go out to their work searching for food, the wilderness yields food for them and for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and glean in the vineyard of the wicked, they spend the night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the showers of the mountains, and huddle around the rock for want of shelter. Some snatch the fatherless from the breast, and take a pledge from the poor. They cause the poor to go naked without clothing, and they take away the sheaves from the hungry. They press out oil within their walls, and tread wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The dying groan in the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God does not charge them with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its ways, nor abide in its paths. The murderer rises from the light. He kills the poor and needy, and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark they break into houses, which they marked for themselves in the daytime. They do not know the light." For the morning is the same to them as the shadow of death. If someone recognizes them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. They should be swift on the face of the waters. Their portion should be cursed in the earth, so that no one would turn into the way of their vineyards. As drought and heat consume the snow waters, so the grave consume those who have sinned. The womb should forget them, the worm should feed sweetly on them. He should be remembered no more, and wickedness should be broken like a tree. For he preys on the barren who do not bear, and does no good for the widow. But God draws the mighty away with his power. He rises up, but no man is sure of his life. He gives them security, and they rely on it, yet his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while, then they are gone. They are brought low, they are taken out of the way like all others. They dry out like the heads of grain. Now, if it is not so, who will prove me a liar and make my speech worth nothing? This speech of Job began back in Job chapter 23. It seems that Job is still irritated over the accusations from Bildad and Eliphaz that God punishes wickedness, therefore Job is being punished, therefore Job must be wicked. He started rebutting that back in Job chapter 21, and then Eliphaz spoke in chapter 22 trying to establish the same conclusion that Job must be, in fact, wicked. 
Now Job is back at establishing once again that the wicked do so prosper. His theme of chapter 21. Look at a statement in verse 12. He says, The dying groan in the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God does not charge them with wrong. He's just been talking about the wicked deeds of these people, but God does nothing, at least immediately, to them. I think you can see his reasoning. He spends the rest of the chapter pointing out that while the wicked appear to prosper here on earth, they'll get their just reward in the end. And by the way, Job is right about all of that, as we established back in Job chapter 21. But old Bildad, he's running out of material, original material anyway, and he gives a very short monologue of just six verses in Job chapter 25. Verse 1, Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be righteous before God, or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine, and the stars are not pure in his light, how much less man, who is a maggot, and a son of man, who is a worm? As I mentioned, just six verses here. Bildad makes no attempt whatsoever to answer Job, he, nor does he even present a new argument. He simply repeats what Eliphaz had already said in Job chapter 4, verses 17 to 21, and also in Job chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. It's just six verses of God is great and man is not worthy. Where are the good speech writers when you need them? And that brings us to Job's rebuttal in Job chapter 26, verse 1. But Job answered and said, How have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? And how have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words and whose spirit came from you? The dead tremble, those under the waters and those inhabiting them. Sheol is naked before him and destruction has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with his power, and by his understanding he breaks up the storm. By his spirit he adorned the heavens, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways, and how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Well, we saw in chapter 25 how Bildad really didn't reply to Job's previous monologue, but actually just restated some of the arguments of Eliphaz from earlier. Well, there's no fooling Job here. He may be broken out in boils all over, but his mind is still sharp. He sarcastically replies to Bildad and suggests in verse 4 that he didn't even write his own material when he asked, Whose spirit came from you? Then Job continues with his version of God extolling. It's almost as if Job thinks that if he magnifies the virtues of God enough, God will show up for the hearing that Job's been seeking. Hang on, this monologue by Job continues down through chapter 31. So we continue here in chapter 27 
where Job offers up a curse on his friends and counselors. Verse 1, Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my justice, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter? As long as my breath is in me, and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much? If God takes away his life, will God hear his cry? When trouble comes upon him, will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? I will teach you about the hand of God. What is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with complete nonsense? This is the portion of a wicked man with God, and the heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who survive him shall be buried in death and their widows shall not weep. Though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth, which a watchman makes. The rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens his eyes, and he is no more. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against him and does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. Well, it's still Job speaking here, a speech that, by the way, began back in chapter 26. No matter what happens, Job's determined to retain his integrity. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, My lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. The plea bargain, as they insist, he must, is repugnant to Job. He won't even admit to wrongdoing that he's not committed in order to satisfy anyone. Look at verse 5. Far be it for me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Through all of this, Job stands on principle. Job makes a pretty severe statement in verse 7 when he says this, May mine enemy be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For the remainder of this chapter, Job outlines God's curse upon the wicked. Well, who are these people, by the way, who rise up against me as the unrighteous? I think he's talking about his counselors. Job has just offered up a curse upon his counselors because of their bad counsel. Now let's pause for a moment to recall Satan's stated mission in bringing about this adversity in Job's life in the first place. Satan stated to God at the beginning of this ordeal in chapter 2 verse 5, he says this, But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. You can see in this chapter that Satan's mission is way not working. Job's integrity remains intact. 
Now, here's a lesson to be learned from Job. A guilt-ridden life is a miserable existence. Job had lived his life very carefully before God. His friends, they want to heap guilt upon him. Now, think about the implications of taking their advice. If Job accepts their premise that he's living in unintended, unavoidable sin without any personal knowledge of his actual shortcomings, then the very nature of God changes in Job's life. Job insists all through the book that God certainly has the authority to do with him whatever he pleases, but it ought to follow a clear rationale. Now, think about it. Job is correct in wanting to understand that rationale. His weak-minded friends are content to say anything, do anything, or believe anything to keep God off their backs. This kind of uninformed relationship with God still, well, it widely exists with believers today. Many saved people are virtually unaware of what it means to serve God under grace. And their preachers seem content to keep them that way. As a result, many Christians live their lives under a cloud of guilt, never believing that they've done quite enough to truly please God. That's no way to live. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15.57 says. It says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Informed believers, those who study the Word of God, they can live their lives completely assured that they're walking in victory. Hey, that's the only way to live. Job's monologue continues into chapter 28 where he's still critical of his counselors. Verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for one of the darkness and the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from people in places forgotten by feet. They hang far away from men. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, from it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the sources of sapphires, and it contains gold dust. That path no birds know, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. The proud lions have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint, he overturns the mountains at the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams from trickling. What is hidden he brings forth to light. But where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and a portion of the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain 
and a path for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Well, we continue again in this chapter with the monologue by Job that began back in chapter 26. Now, it continues down through chapter 31, which we'll look at those chapters tomorrow. It's interesting that Job makes a differentiation between knowledge and wisdom in this chapter. His implications seem to be that his friends might be smart, but they have no wisdom. Where does wisdom come from anyway? Well, that's the burning question Job asks in chapter 28. In the tradition of Job's eloquent, I'm going to wear you out style, he asks this question about wisdom in just about every conceivable way that you can imagine. And, well, many you can't imagine. Here's the bottom line to this chapter. Everything his counselors have said may sound correct before their audience, but all of it's devoid of God's wisdom. And we'll see that Job continues this monologue into chapter 29, which is tomorrow's reading. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.